Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9th through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I hold two bills in my hands. I say bills. Maybe I should say parts of bills. One is part of a $1 bill. Looks to me to be about a third of it. It's enough so you can see the serial number on the face, but the rest of the bill is gone. The upper right-hand corner has been torn off. So when I say I hold a bill, it's not entirely true. I hold part of a dollar bill. And then secondly, I hold a $5 bill here. Now this $5 bill is, well, it's longer than most $5 bills. It's been taped together. There are three distinct portions, one on the left, one in the middle, one on the right. The right side is longer than other $5 bills. It's interesting as I look at these bills because the truth is these are illegal bills. It's illegal to deface or mar currency here in the United States. So the question is, why do I have these bills and why am I up here with them? Well, they all began, it seems, with our daughter, Miranda. Miranda Roberts, now COSART. You see, our church business administrator at the time, Donovan Krauss, gave these to me. He seems to have taken them out of a tithe envelope that Miranda turned in. <laughs> now, I've gone back and asked Miranda about it. She doesn't really have much recollection. She was fairly young at the time. But what we do know is that I used to give our kids allowance. And they would get their allowance, and then we'd talk to them about tithe, 10%, and any free will offerings over and above that that you might want to give. And so they would do that. I remember an occasion or two when I would, for whatever reason, busy, neglect, forgot, whatever the case was, didn't get them their tithe in due time. And so then we would have a time where we'd miss three or four weeks, and I'd give them tithe, and then they had a lot more money than they were used to having, and they would look excited, and then I'd ask them about tithe, and they'd count that out. And one of those times, Miranda looked at that, and she said, knowing that this was several weeks allowance altogether, looking at the tithe, she said, Daddy, that's a lot of money. That just seems so much more when I have more money. So I don't know. Maybe it came from one of those moments. Maybe it came from one of those times. But it seems that what Miranda was doing was trying to decide how much to give and how much to keep, what she would turn in and what she would retain. And it ended up with illegal bills. Now, the way I know that this is more than one $5 bill is not just that it's longer, but that the serial numbers on both sides are different. The one on the left side starts BL804 and then continues with six other digits. The one on the right starts with CA398 and then continues with more digits than it should have. So I think somewhere right along in there it got torn in half and another one got thrown in. So maybe three different ones all put together to make tithe for one period of time. 
Now, I wonder why they have serial numbers on both sides. I got to thinking about that. Got to thinking, well, maybe it's because they wanted to prevent anything that could happen. You know what could happen. Somebody rip a bill in two and make them march so they don't look like they match, and then go in and say, you know, I ended up with parts of two bills here. Can you replace each part with another bill? So maybe you have a child sitting there saying, Daddy, what is the pastor doing with illegal money up front? And you say, shh, I think he's going to show us how to double our money. But no, that's not it, actually. The actual simple truth is that I want to talk to you about those moments in time when we're making decisions. Those moments when we, when we have money, when we have bills in our hands, and we're trying to decide how much should I give, how much should I keep. Trying to sort that through. I had someone stop by after first service and say, you know what, I think you need to be reported for non-compliance. I said, what, 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 what are you talking about? He said, I think you and the business administrator conspired to withhold your daughter's tithe. You still have it. <laughs> well, it's true. It has stayed in my drawer all these years as a simple reminder. A reminder of those moments when we have to make decisions. What will I give? What will I keep? Now, I hear that some pastors, imagine this. I hear that some pastors are uncomfortable preaching about money. I hear that. I feel that. <laughs> but the truth is, if we're uncomfortable preaching about money, it doesn't come from Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about money and possessions and what we give and what we keep. A lot. In fact, did you realize that Jesus says more about money than he does about prayer? More about money than he does about faith? More about money than he does about love? In fact, there's only one thing Jesus talks about more than he talks about money, and that's treating your pastor well. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs> and that's the theme that was the overarching theme of his ministry, the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God everywhere you read through the Gospels. Preaching, teaching, talking about the kingdom of God. But right beneath that, money, possessions. Why did he talk so much about money? Well, no doubt part of it is the fact that when we talk about money, we are not talking just about money. We're not just talking about bills and coins and bank accounts and purses and wallets. We're talking about more than that when we talk about money. When we talk about money, we're talking about options and freedom and power and influence and selfishness versus unselfishness. We're talking about options for the future. We're talking about helping or being, being turned in on ourselves. We're talking about all other kinds of realities rather than just money. And Jesus is not the only one in Scripture to talk about money. In fact, if you take Scripture, take Scripture with a concordance and start looking up the things that the Bible has to say about our monies, about our possessions, about our blessings, and you begin to realize there were many biblical personalities and many biblical writers that addressed it, including the old wise sage of Israel. 
the one who penned the larger portion of the Proverbs. And so today we are going to go, and next week and the week following, to the Proverbs, a short three-part series entitled simply Divine Sense and Human Sense. What might the divine wisdom tell us about our money? Today we're going to talk about our money and God. Next week we're going to talk about our money and the poor and needy among us. And then the third week, we're going to talk about money and planning for our future. So today we begin with talking about our money and God. I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs, the third chapter. Now, as you're turning to Proverbs chapter 3, I have to remind you of something. This is a frequent reminder that is needed when we come to the book of Proverbs. Remember what we're going to be reading in Proverbs. Remember what the name of the book is. The name of the book is not promises. The name of the book is not guarantees. The name of the book is not the ironclad affirmations of God. The name of the book is Proverbs. Because the Proverbs are a collection of pithy statements typically brief sayings written by the inspired wise man of Israel to say, when you live in a way that reflects God's wisdom for your life, life generally turns out in this way. And that's often the second part of the proverb. So when we come to Proverbs, we ought not come with the expectation that this is promises. That's not what it is. It's Proverbs. God's wisdom usually leads to this kind of result, to this kind of a life. So choose the way of divine wisdom. And that's what we come to today. Proverbs chapter 3, and we begin in verse 9. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The late Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, rendered that this way Honor the Lord with everything you own. The New Revised Standard Version says it this way, honor the Lord with your substance. In other words, everything that belongs to you, honor the Lord. So we have to ask the question, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to honor God with what we have? I want to read to you the words of the teacher, preacher, and writer Raymond Ortland. Raymond Ortland, in writing about this very passage, helps unpack what that would have meant in its original context. This is what Ortland writes. What is the counsel of the sage? Honor the Lord with your wealth. The Hebrew word verb translated honor means to treat the Lord as weighty. The root of the verb means to be heavy, even as we today might say that a person carries social weight. That is what money communicates, prestige, rank, importance. It is all around us every day. In my part of God's world, the Nashville area may be one of the most intense concentrations of money in the history of the human race, he writes. Whose prestige is that money enhancing? 
The sad truth is we honor ourselves with our money, and the Lord gets second best if he is lucky. But wisdom, he's talking about Proverbs, but wisdom changes us. Wisdom is saying, make the Lord famous and prominent by means of your wealth. Use your money to increase his prestige in the world. There's also a Hebrew verb for the opposite of honoring. It means to make light of, to regard as trifling and frivolous. As God looks at your financial priorities, should he consider himself honored or slighted? Somebody gets the honor of first place in your monthly budget. Who is in that place of honor? So then, how do we honor God from our wealth? By giving away to him our first and our best. That's how we honor God. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So I got to wondering. Many times the brief statements of the Proverbs are taught elsewhere in Scripture. You see illustration of the wisdom that the proverb is speaking about. So I got to wondering, are there examples in Scripture that would give us an insight, a window into the life of someone who is honoring God with their wealth? And I remember David, King David. King David is coming out of a time when he has dishonored God, when he has disobeyed God, and he's suffering some of the consequences of that, and he's trying to get back into the grace of God, into relationship with God, be reconciled. And it is then that the prophet Gad comes to him and says to him, David, you need to offer a sacrifice that honors God. Go to the place, to the land of Araunah, the Jebusite, and there offer a sacrifice. So David went. Araunah has been told that he's coming, knows he's coming, and so he meets the king, and he says to the king, King, whatever you need, it's all yours. I will give it to you. No charge at all. Just name it. You need land, you've got land. You need lambs, you've got lambs. Whatever you want. To which David says, I will not offer worship to God that costs me nothing. And insist on paying for it. I will not offer worship to God that costs me nothing. What was it the sage said? Honor the Lord with your wealth. And then I thought of the widow. You remember her, nameless. I picture her as stooped. And elderly and diminutive. She thinks nobody sees her. But Jesus is seating there and he is watching as the rich come and they pour their money, their offerings, not bills, coins, so they will clink and clank as they pour into the treasury, causing people to turn and to gaze and to say, look at the size of that gift. Wow. And it's right then, in the midst of those who are pouring in out of their abundance, that the slight woman slips in and surreptitiously drops her two pennies, last pennies, in the treasury. 
Little does she know that that all-seeing eye is gazing at her. Little does she realize that the words that he will speak will echo down through the corridors of time as a memory of that one simple gift because Jesus says, you see her? She has put in more than everyone because she gave the last she had, all she had. And the wise man says, honor the Lord with your abundance. Or I think of the children of Israel. They've exited Egypt. They're on their exodus to the promised land. The time has come when God has said, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And so Moses stands up and says to the people, we must build, so you must give. And they respond. They give, and they give, and they give. To the point that in Exodus 36, imagine this. Moses stands up and says, enough. No more. No man, no woman is to give anything else because we have more than we need. Can you imagine? Pastor Doug gets up here with his belt, his gloves, blows a whistle and says, Stop. No more. We have too much. Is that what the wise man was talking about? Honor the Lord with your abundance. But my favorite one, my favorite one in Scripture is what happens when Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthian church because he's wanting them to participate in an offering that he has been gathering, gathering from a range of different churches. He's gathering that offering so that he can take it back to the saints in Jerusalem. They are suffering They're suffering deeply, in fact. Under a famine, they need help. And Paul's point is to say, look, they have shared the gospel with you. Now you need to share with them in their hour of need. And the churches have responded. And now Paul is trying to collect the gift from Corinth. So he uses the Macedonian churches as an example. He says, let me tell you what the Macedonian churches have done. Out of their extreme poverty and their severe trial, they have had an attitude of overflowing joy. Now that in and of itself is bizarre. How do you take extreme poverty and severe trial and somehow manage to mix that all together with overflowing joy? But they do. And Paul says, when they mix those three together, do you know what what wells up from within that? Rich generosity. Unbelievable. Is that what the wise man is saying? Honor the Lord with your abundance. That's not all the proverb. Proverb also says... Do it with your first fruits. It was an agrarian society, an agricultural society, and so what happened when they had their harvest? He says, the first fruits, the first things that you harvest, bring them to the temple. That's your first, your best. That's a way to honor God. 
I suppose that would mean for us today that it means that, that when we get our check, when it's deposited in our account and we go online to start clicking on the bill pay and on the different bills we have to pay, that maybe first we give. I went through a period of time. It's been years ago now, but it's still real in my memory. Went through a period of time where I didn't do that. Where I was giving as I could. Where I would pay the other bills and figure out what I had. Surely I'll have enough left for tithe and for offering. Somehow the Spirit of God nudging my soul and heart with discomfort. We've made a different choice now. It's by the grace of God. But it's that discipline of trying to follow the wisdom of the proverb, what's first and what's best. Now remember, this is not a promise. This is saying this is how life tends to work out when you follow God's wisdom. But there are other places in Scripture that do make promises. That say, God will bless you. God will preserve you. God will care for you. So be faithful. We have found that to be the case. That somehow, whatever the situation might be, needs have provision. So that's the proverb. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first and best of what you have, and he will care for you. So now I have a question for you. How is it with your soul? With your willingness to share and to give to the cause, to the things of God? You know, there comes a time in every family and every home circle, when it's time to sit down and talk about how things are going. Sometimes we talk about how the communication is flowing, conflict, home chores, all kinds of things that happen at family councils. But one thing that is very important to talk about at times is to sit down and say, how are we doing financially? How does that picture Look, so this morning, I want to, as a university church family, ask that question. As a church family, what does it look like in terms of how we might be doing in honoring the Lord with our substance? Thanks to our finance department and thanks to our media department, I want to show you five slides. Five slides to kind of give you a bit of a sense of what it is that happens here at Loma Linda University Church. So I want to start out with a slide that shows what it is that is given here overall in a given year. So if our guys can put that on the screen, you'll see the total contributions are somewhere above $13.5 million. Now, we've rounded off some of the numbers to make it easier, but this is very close. That's the total giving that happens at Loma Linda University Church from people whose hearts are filled with the grace of God and are wanting to honor the Lord with their abundance. But I do want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that on the right-hand side, 66% of what is given here does not stay here. It goes other places. We'll talk about where in a moment. 
But for the moment, it goes elsewhere. There are many times when people come and they give and think, I'm giving to this local church, when in fact they're not. On the left-hand side, 34% of what is given stays at LLUC. Now, let's break that down a little bit. What exactly does that mean? The second slide, you'll see that 51% of the total that is given here is tithe. It goes straight to the conference, and from the conference is dispersed in a variety of ways. It may go into this other parts of the Southeastern California Conference or to the Union, the Division, or the General Conference, but it doesn't stay here. Another 12%, and that's still tithe, in essence does come back here because it pays the salaries of everybody on the pastoral team. So that's 12%. Then another 3% is pass-through donations. Now you say, what are pass-through donations? Well, pass-through donations are people who come and who sit in church and who hear something that there's a need somewhere. It doesn't have directly to do with this church, but it's a legitimate need. And so you come this morning and you hear of the fires and you say, I want to respond. I want to help. And so many times in those situations, a fund is set up. And so you write a check, Loma Linda University Church, and on the tithe envelope you write, Northern California Fires. Well, that comes here. It's part of the total giving, but it goes elsewhere. That's pass-through donations. You may give to our broadcast partner, Loma Linda Broadcasting Network. That goes straight to them. You may give to ADRA, pass-through donations. So there you have, there you have the 60... 6% that comes here but doesn't stay here except for that smaller portion of tithe for salaries. The remainder on the left-hand side is what stays here. Some of it is program designated. That means people say, I want this given to media ministries. I want this to go to prayer ministries. I want this to go to children's ministries. It's designated giving. Others is open. I want it to go to the church budget. And so we use it in a wide range of ways. But let's talk a little bit more about that local contribution. So here we have the local giving, a little over $4.5 million. Let me start at the upper left-hand side and say a word or two about each of these. So facilities and administration, that's probably self-explanatory. Everything that has to do with making our buildings habitable, keep them up to date, the, the work that has to take place in terms of painting and cleaning and electric bill and all those other realities. But in addition, out of that same area, come comes all the work that is done by way of salaries for maintenance ministries and support staff ministries and many others like that. So that's the upper left-hand side. Upper right-hand side, we believe in Christian education. We believe in supporting our local academy. And so 16% of what we give here locally goes straight down to the academy to help in the work of education. And then ministries, like I mentioned earlier, all kinds of ministries in the church that are busy seeking to do the work of Jesus. And then finally, the lower left-hand side, our building project. That is something that we've been working on for some years and have some years to go. So that will be there for a while. Now, fourthly, I want to show you a slide, but I'm not going to show it quite yet. Because the next slide may be the most important slide of all. 
So before we look at it, let me remind you of something. There's there's a formula that is called the formula of autonomy that some of you are familiar with. I'll remind you of it. It comes from Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, the one who's added so much to the field of philosophy and whose theories and thoughts are still wrestled with to this very day. He had something called the formula of autonomy. And this is what it says. It says, so act that your action could be made a law for everyone. So act that your action could be made a law for everyone. In other words, when it comes time to decide all kinds of things in our lives, how will I drive on the freeway? How will I be as a neighbor in my community? How will I act in the public sphere? Kant is saying, act in a way that if everybody else acted exactly the way you're acting, the world would be a better place. So act that your action could be made a law, safely made a law for everyone, his formula of autonomy. I want to suggest to you that that same reality applies to our giving. That if we were to take Kant's formula and apply it to what we're talking about today, that what we would say would be, so give. That if everybody else gave in the same way, the church would thrive. Formula of autonomy. So how does that look for us here? This is where, as a family, we need to do some prayerful, thoughtful reshuffling of priorities. So now we'll put up the the screen. This one has to do with number of members giving. So there are 6,381 members as to date at Loma Linda University Church. On the right-hand side, you will see that 58% of us, 58% never give anything. 58%. Now, that may not be exactly accurate because of this. We are talking here about names that we know give so that somebody fills out a tithe envelope or goes online and gives on the website. We have a record of that. We send a receipt at the end of the year. Those are the ones we know. That's what this number reflects. It could be that you come to church and you drop something in the offering plate as it goes by. We don't know that. So this reflects the earlier number. But then the bottom left, there's 10% that gives only to tithe. Now remember, a small percentage of that comes back by way of salaries, but most of that goes elsewhere. So when you write a check, we've had several of these just recently. Somebody, $10,000 check to tithe. It's a wonderful blessing for the larger work of the kingdom in this area and the world. But it doesn't add to what happens here locally. So you could say that 10% is added to those who don't give locally. And then there's 1% that only gives to pass through, to the fires, to LLBN, etc. Meaning that 69% of our members give nothing locally. Meaning 
that seven out of ten of us either don't give here at all or give in ways that go beyond here. I will tell you, folks, it's challenging. It's very challenging for the church to function as necessary with that reality. We had a painful week a couple of weeks ago. We spent hours in that week and actually two or three weeks around it sorting through our budget and cutting back about 20%, including and especially ministry opportunities, ministry areas, because there simply is not the funding available. It got me to wondering what would happen if we were all more faithful. A couple of more words about that slide. You will notice that church and pass-through, that's 21%, and church only is 10%. So there's a small percentage that gives just to this local congregation. A number of years ago, I talked about these realities, and and we did an illustration suggested by a colleague that worked very well. Some of you will remember this. Others weren't here. To try to illustrate what that was like, we took one of our youth, and we said, you're going to represent the approximate third that is giving. And what we'd like you to do up here on the stage is we have some weights. They were like sandbags that we'd like you to pick up, and we'd like you to carry them across the stage. That's representing doing the work of God, carrying the weight that is required. You're the third that is doing that. But you are doing more than just carrying that weight. And so we brought two more youth up. And we said, now, we want you to carry the weight and do the work, walk across the stage, but we would like these other two to climb on your back. And you carry the weight and the two of them. And now you make your way across the stage. Those of you who were here will remember. He staggered and stumbled. I held him up. We were trying to get him all the way across the stage because it's tough. It's difficult. When you have one doing and two writing, it's a challenge. Last slide. This kind of pictures what I've just been talking about by saying that it's about 31% of the members supporting 100% of the LLUC needs. So that's our picture. I fully recognize that many of those who may not be giving here may be giving elsewhere. The kingdom of God is large and has many needs. And those are legitimate and real. But as we talk as family in this congregation, I would say take into account what we've talked about. Be informed about your giving. Because we have the ability to make a very big difference in the work of this local expression of the kingdom of God. So what was it that the wise man wrote? Honor the Lord with your substance. Honor him. Give weight to him. Give place to him. I read a modern writer just this past week who said this, money is something that tells us who we are. It tells us who we are. How does it do that? It does that by how we put it to use. 
So my question for all of us today is as we ponder and as we reflect on our money and God, as you sort it through, as I continue to think and pray about it, maybe we need to be very careful to make sure that our priorities are in the right places so that we can make the choice to live as the old sage recommended. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, we made an intentional choice today to take the offering up after the sermon. Now, we've done that for two reasons. One is the reason you're thinking about and why you're laughing. But there's actually another reason. We are accustomed to doing it before this part of the service. But if you look at the theology of worship, it's more theologically faithful to Scripture to give after, at the end. Because all human action, all human giving is a response to God's action and to God's gift. So today we're going to give that opportunity at this time of the service. And as you make decisions, not just about today, but about the future, I pray that the wise man's words will continue to echo and resonate in your heart. Honor the Lord with your substance.